listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. Uh, my name's Heath. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so glad that you're joining us for the final week of the series that we're in, which is called Bounce Back. And the subtitle for this, uh, this series that we've been in is Getting Back Up When Life Knocks You Down. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks to kind of recap what we've been talking about. Uh, the first week, uh, my friend Lauren kicked us off. She talked about uh, just how we struggle and deal with uh, anxiety. Anxiety is a normal part of human life, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to drive the bus. It doesn't necessarily have to be in control of your life. And <clears throat> she gave us some really great uh, things that we can do to kind of push back against anxiety and begin to um, you know, just honestly begin to heal from that. Last week, if you were here, uh, Chelsea, our very own Chelsea Anderson uh, gave us uh, week two. Chelsea did a great job uh, just talking about how a lot of times when we get injured physically in our life, it's the first thing on our mind. We have to go and get that taken care of and get that healed. But emotionally, uh, in, in our hearts, when we go through an injury, we have an emotional injury. A lot of times we push that aside or we talk ourselves out of doing anything about it. And we push that aside for uh, far too long and, and it never really heals. We never really heal from that. And so tonight we're wrapping up the series. We're doing week three of this, of kind of how to bounce back when life gets you down. And uh, I was thinking about tonight and, and just kind of in the context of, of those last couple of weeks, and I don't know how many of you guys, this is a pretty old movie. Uh, some of you guys may have seen it. Some of you may not have. If, if not, you can go home. I think, I'm pretty sure you can find it on like Amazon Prime. Uh, but how many of you guys have seen this movie right here? It's called Soul Surfer. Okay, more than I thought. I kind of thought that uh, that's pretty old. You guys were probably like in kindergarten when that came out. It's, it's pretty old. Uh, I understand that. But uh, I think this movie is really uh, interesting. If you've never seen it before, it's based on a true story. Uh, there's a, a surfer, her name's Bethany Hamilton, who is attacked by a shark and loses her arm. One of her arms. I can't remember, honestly. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, but she loses her arm. And it's this amazing story of how, uh, honestly, her faith kind of gets her through that traumatic thing. And she gets back out there to continue surfing and actually becomes like a champion again in surfing, uh, but with just one arm. And I think it's a fantastic story and it's, it's a true story. I mean, she's a real person. This has actually happened to her. Uh, she's not much older, I mean, around my age. So she's, I mean, she's still around. You could, you could meet her uh, if you lived in Hawaii. And so uh, the thing is, is I find this story fantastic because she had this traumatic thing happen to her, right? Like she was, most of you guys' biggest fear when you go to the beach, she was literally attacked by a shark and had her arm bitten off, O-F-F, off. No, no more arm. Like she gets her arm eaten off by a shark. <clears throat> and yet with the best built-in excuse that there's ever been to quit surfing. She overcomes all of the odds and continues doing it. I realized when I, uh, when I watched that movie, how just, I'm not built like that. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that like, if I have an excuse to be bad at something, I'm gonna take it. You know, I, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not good at this. And let me tell you, I've, I've put together a list of four reasons why I'm not very good at this. Um, I'll, I'm gonna pick on Thomas for a second. Thomas, where are you? Thomas is in the back of the room. Y'all shout out to Thomas Howell. Uh, guys, for the last several months, uh, Thomas and I have both been training for a marathon and uh, Thomas ran his last week and he was an hour faster. And right away, Thomas, you're an hour faster than me. And I automatically was like, well, it makes sense, right? Like he's a lot younger than me. He's in a lot better shape. Uh, it was really hot the day I did it, which is a pretty good excuse. Uh, the race ran out of water which is not my fault, you know? And then I got to the end of it and I realized it's like, Thomas, you're just a better runner than me. You know, like I can make all the excuses I want, but at the end of the day, there's, there's a truth that's at the bottom of all the excuses, right? And maybe you've been in a very similar situation in your life where through the, through the, uh, 
the BS of all of our excuses that we have, there's no truth nugget that we don't want to face. A few years ago, I was, uh, I was I just started at Browns Bridge. And I was interviewing for a job to be the high school director here when I led Inside Out. And uh, I was the interim, I was doing the job and I was interviewing to see if I could get it like a permanent gig, right? So it was like, I was kind of doing the job and I was interviewing against nobody. I was the only candidate and it wasn't going great for me. And I had a guy, a friend and a mentor named Richard Chancy that pulled me aside and was like, Heath, I need you to act like you want this job. And I was like, what do you mean? Of course I want this job. I'm interviewing for it. I'm, I'm doing it currently. And he's like, no, you're being far too humble. You're being far too like nonchalant about this. Like the people in charge want to know that you want to do this. And I was like, well, of course I want to do this. So, you know, I started like pushing back on him. He's like, don't tell me, tell them, right? If you've ever been in your life where you wanted something or you were pursuing something, when it gets difficult and when it gets hard, when you're facing challenges, for many of us in the room, and, and myself will be included in this, we begin to make excuses as to why we're doing it a certain way or why we're falling short or why we're not meeting expectations or why we're not living up to the standard that is being held against us. And it's a defense mechanism. The reason that we do that is because we're protecting ourselves. We're protecting, you know, for me, I, as even with the job, I was protecting myself. Like, what if they don't pick me? What if they don't think I can do it? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not the person that they want to lead this. So I'll just kind of play it cool and be like, oh yeah, I would love to have this. You know, you know, I tried to play it like cool and nonchalant. And he was like, hey man, if you want this, you need to go get it, right? I need a little bit more like of whatever it is that is flowing through Bethany Hamilton's veins. Like I need a little bit more of that, like forget all the excuses, forget all the reasons why you can't and just go do it, right? I just didn't have that in me. <clears throat> and so tonight I, I tell you that story and I kind of lead into that is because for all of us in the room, we all deal with stuff in our lives. We all carry things in our lives. There's always things that we're gonna be butting up against or, or, or uh, excuses that we are gonna build into why we're not living up to expectations or why we're not doing things the right way or why we're struggling with the same old things time and time again. And as I've uh, just kind of grown up in life, I've began to realize that that is such a normal part of the human existence that so many of us struggle with the same things over and over and over again. And in fact, we struggle with the same things for so long, we begin to get good at hiding the fact that we've been struggling with the same things for in sometimes months and years on end. We've been wrestling with the same uh, issues in our lives. We've been battling the same demons in our heart. We've been like, you know, forcing ourselves to pretend like we have it all together for so long that we actually begin to believe that. And we make excuses as to why we're not doing anything about the problem. And to prove that I, I'm not the only one in the room that you guys probably feel that way too. <clears throat> let me ask you this question right here. What is the part of your life that you see every single day, but you hope no one else ever does? Evaluate your life for a second. Think about your heart. Think about what, what the, when you're alone with your thoughts or when you're in your room at night or, or when you're like, if you're just like confronting your deepest, darkest fears or your most, your most you know, long seated insecurity in your life. What is the thing that you've held on to for so long and you know it's part of your life and you see it every single day but you hope that nobody else notices. You hope that nobody else sees. See, for many of us in this room, uh, this could be a lot of things. I, I mean, I could probably make a list that goes on for slide after slide after slide, but I pulled some really common ones, things that, that people battle with and carry with them for a long period of time, you know, all across this room. Some of these are gonna be used, some of them people you're close to, some of them your siblings or your best friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parents. Uh, but there's things that people carry for years and they become so used to carrying them that they build in excuses why they never actually do anything about them. And they become comfortable in coping with them rather than addressing them at uh, the heart of the issue. 
So here's a list of things that maybe if you're struggling to think of things that are pretty common. For some people, they wrestle with self-hate. They don't like themselves and they won't ever do anything about it. Like when they look in the mirror, they don't like who they see. And there's nothing, there's no encouragement. There's no text from their small group leader. There's nothing going on in their life that will change their mind that they don't like the person they see in the mirror. For some of them, it's regret. Maybe you've done some things in your past that are embarrassing or that you wish you hadn't done. For some people, it's shame. It's you've, you've fallen short, you've made mistakes. Uh, you've had failures in your life and you've begun to believe that not only are you a person who's made mistakes, that you are a mistake as a person and you carry that with you. That's what shame is. Maybe you have insecurities, things that you just don't like about yourself or you try to cover up. Uh, by you know, masking or, or not talking about certain areas of your life. Some people that, that processes or, or comes out in their life in the forms of things like eating disorders. Some people batter, battle things like fear and worry every single day of your life. You don't know what's around the corner or what's next. It's because something bad happened to you one time and you're always waiting for the next bad thing and you live your life in a constant state of worry or fear because of what could happen next. Some people battle, uh, you know, clinical things that we've talked about in this series, things that maybe you need to see somebody professionally about like depression or anxiety. And, and then many people in, in today's world, uh, we are the most connected generation of all time, but we're also the most disconnected generation of all time that people are as lonely as they've ever been in human history. But people pretend like they've got it all together, right? Now, if you would imagine how many people you know in your life, if not some of these things are things that you are wrestling with, but how many people in your life know, you know, are wrestling with these things. But when you see that person and you ask them how their day's going and they put this big fake smile on and they say, I'm doing great. How are you doing? You know, you see them on social media and they act like they've got it all together when they're cutting up and being funny. When you see them, uh, you know, interacting with their friends and family, we have done such a good job of coping with these things, of making excuses as to why it's just part of my life or it's not my fault. This is just something that happened to me or this is something that I'm just, I guess I just have to live with and carry that for the longest time, we have just accepted it as this is just the way it's always gonna be. If that's you tonight, I'm so glad you, just, you decided to join us for week three of this series because I hope that we can talk about something and we begin to look at this in a way that can show that this doesn't have to be true, that these things don't have to be part of your lives. In fact, the question that we're gonna wrestle with tonight is a question that Jesus asks in the, in the passage we're gonna look at in just a moment. And it's, it's this question right here. It's, do you wanna get well? And I ask you that question on the front end because I want you to begin thinking about it. Because for many of us in this room, if something on that list or, or something like that on, there, on that list is something that you struggle with, you're probably so accustomed to it. You've been carrying it for so long or you've been hiding it for so long. You've been pretending for so long that you don't carry that thing or you're not struggling with it or you aren't carrying that in your heart. My question is, do you want to get well? Because for most people, the answer is probably no. I just don't wanna deal with this anymore. Like, it's like, I just don't want the pain. I don't want to be well. I just want to take the pain away, right? That's the reason that people turn to substances because they don't want to feel what they're feeling. So they decide they'll just numb it. I'd rather feel nothing than this. So the question I want you to be thinking about tonight is, hey, if the opportunity were to present itself, if you had the chance, would you rather just be healed? Would you rather just be well? Would you rather just have that thing as no longer part of your life and that, it, that you wouldn't feel an emptiness from it, but you would actually begin to grow and your life would begin to flourish as a result of it no longer being part of your story? That's the question I want you to be thinking on tonight. Because for many of us, we immediately see that question and we're like, well, I, I don't really know. All I know is I just want this area removed or I want this thing taken out of my life or I wish I didn't have this thing in my past or I wish this wasn't part of my story I wish that I just didn't have to carry this anymore. And what I've learned is that for most people, the answer to this question is, well, I don't really know if I wanna get well. I just wish I was under better circumstances. 
I just wish the things in my life were just a little bit easier than they are presently. Or I just wish that God would fix my surroundings or my situation. I don't really care if he fixes me. And so a better way to think about this question, another question I'm gonna ask you guys before we dive in is this. What if God wants to change you before he changes your circumstances? What if instead of fixing the things going on around you, God wants to drill down into the heart of the matter? What if God wants to get down to the very center of the issue? And instead of just changing your circumstances, God wants to change your heart. Instead of just fixing the problem, God wants to fix your soul. What if instead of just taking away the pain, God wants to make you whole and well again? See, this is exactly the situation that a man found himself in in the Gospel of John. Tonight, we're gonna be in John chapter five. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles or if you follow along on the app on your phone or whatever, we're gonna be in John chapter five. John's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was an eyewitness and a follower of Jesus. And John wrote down this story of a man who meets Jesus and has a life-changing experience. And in this story that we're gonna look at tonight, I feel like we see a lot of ourselves in the story of this particular Man. So let's walk through the story. We're gonna start in, in, in uh, John chapter five, starting in verse one, right at the top. And this is what it says in John chapter five. <clears throat> Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now this feels like a throwaway verse, but this is important. Jesus is actually not from Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, but he decides to go up to Jerusalem, which is like the capital city of Israel. And, and the most of the time when uh, the Jewish people would go to Jerusalem, it was because of one of the major festivals or uh, feasts that they would celebrate. There was a few times a year where think about like for us, Thanksgiving's coming up next week. Think about like a Thanksgiving at Christmas and like 4th of July, like everybody, you know, kind of comes together and celebrates. So it's, it's kind of like that, but in their culture. So everybody goes to Jerusalem It'd be one of those type of celebrations and festivals where you're like your actual physical attendance would be required. So Jesus leaves his home, goes to Jerusalem and upon his arrival in Jerusalem, it kind of sets the stage for our story today. Verse two says this. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, which would have just been an entrance to the city, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So John's trying to kind of paint a picture for people like us who don't live in Jerusalem and for sure don't live there in like the... 30, year 30 AD. And so he's like, hey, when you come into Jerusalem, there's a specific gate and you go through this gate and near it, there's a pool. And when he says pool, this isn't like your local YMCA, okay? This would have been like an, uh, an underground spring type thing, but that the people would kind of use it kind of like a YMCA. It was kind of a place where people would hang out, uh, relax, get away from the heat. Uh, uh, Israel is in a very arid, hot, deserty kind of climate. So it would have been a place like that. But this particular pool uh, actually carried a, a little bit of a stigma with it. It was actually pretty famous because this particular pool, um, people would actually believe had some kind of like miraculous healing powers. In fact, the term Bethesda is a term in, Jewish that, in the Jewish language, Hebrew language, that actually means house of grace. So it's literally a place where they believed that God would work in people's lives. And, and John's trying to paint a picture of like, hey, there's this pool and this is how you kind of get to it. And literally, if you were to ever find yourself in Jerusalem today, I hope you're not there today, a lot of crazy stuff going on. But if you ever do get to visit the Holy Land and go there, you can actually go visit this site in this pool they've uh, excavated in the city. You actually can go see it. But it's, he describes it as covered by five covered colonnades. So there's these like porticos and it's just this like almost like resorty looking area. And Jesus is walking by. He's on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate in the town like everybody else. And he walks by and he sees this scene unfold and it causes him to stop because there's this really particular and really unusual thing that happens at the pool of Bethesda. John goes on to say this, here at the pool, a great number of disabled people used to lie. 
the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, when he says lie, he doesn't mean that they're not telling the truth. He literally means they used to like lay, down, lay down around by the pool. And there's a specific reason. And if you're following along in your Bible, and the reason I'm like pointing to your Bible is because uh, there's kind of two different versions of this story. There's a version that includes a verse four of this. And there's a version, some versions of your Bibles that actually don't include verse four. And so uh, in my Bible here tonight, it actually leaves out verse four, but there's a footnote at the bottom where it says like, hey, some have this in there, some don't. The oldest manuscripts that they have actually leave it out. But it's an important statement where it kind of clarifies why people used to lay around the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, why people used to lay around by this random underground spring that happens to be in Jerusalem. This is what it says in verse four, which your Bible may have, or maybe is a footnote like in mine. It says this, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. So there was this belief around the, the people in Jerusalem that was like, hey, this pool, this particular body of water, this, this underground spring that bubbles up in the city of Jerusalem, God, that which we call house of grace, right? That's what Bethesda mean. We believe that God would send down his angel. And when the waters bubble and stir up like a lot of underground springs and, and pools will type do, right? They'll begin to bubble and stir and the waters will begin to move. And the people were like, God is his, his presence. His angels are here to like stir up the water. If I can be the one of the first ones, if not the first one in the pool, whatever it is that I'm, if it's ailing me, can be healed. And so the, the, the people who were the most afflicted, you know, the, the verse before this says the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they used to literally lay around the pool with the hope that they could be one of the first ones down into the pool. Now think for a second about that for a moment. If this pool has magical abilities, it has the ability to heal people who are sick and injured and afflicted and disabled, uh, and people begin to talk about it, when the waters begin to bubble up, Usually the way it worked is the first people into the pools were the people who were the least afflicted, right? Let's say like for the last week, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the, the weather has been crazy. It was like 80 degrees one day and the next day it was like 30 degrees. And every year when that happens, it happens twice a year, usually around November and then again, probably in April, my sinuses go absolutely crazy and it just they just evacuate, right? It's like every like just all the snot and running down your throat. I mean, it's just a, like disgusting thing, right? So imagine if like, <clears throat> I'm very inconvenienced by this, but you know, I don't really, it doesn't really change my life. But let's imagine that I'm like feeling bad. I didn't really sleep good last night. I'm gonna go hang out by the pool. And if those waters start to bubble and boil up, man, I'm getting in that. But what does that mean? The people who are actually afflicted by serious disabilities, the people who are blind, the people who are lame and can't walk or paralyzed and can't get themselves down there, they were never the first ones to get into the water. So they hung out the, around there all the time, begging, asking people for spare change and stuff so that they could eat and survive. But they were never able to be the ones to get into the water. It was the people who had the smallest afflictions, the people with the stubbed toes, the runny nose, the, the, the simple things that probably if they just wrote it out, they would be fine. They were the people who got into the water and they were the people who experienced the, the healing. And so Jesus comes upon this and you have to imagine like, this is Jesus. He's seeing all this happening and maybe he knows, maybe he has to inquire, but he's like, hey, what's going on over here, right? Like, what are these people, what are they all doing? And they bring in, catch him up. Oh, that's the, that's the pool of Bethesda. You know, the water stirred up and you get in it, you get healed. And you could probably, you could almost see the gears in Jesus's mind working of like, interesting, the water, that's what heals them. Okay, cool. And so what Jesus decides to do is he's like, all right, I don't have anything else to do today. I'm gonna go check this out. I'm gonna step into this story and I'm gonna meet somebody 
who is putting their faith in this water and I'm gonna engage with them. And he picks out this one specific man. We're not giving his name, but this is what it says in the next verse. He says, one, one of the men who was you know, uh, paralyzed and had been laying there had been there an invalid, which is like a, a term they would use for somebody who's paralyzed for 38 years. For some of you in this room, that's twice as long as you've been alive. And for Jeff Herring, that's half as long as you've been alive. And so it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's a long period of time, okay? It's a long time, 38 years he'd been an invalid. In fact, you know, scholars say that there's a really good chance this man was 38 years old or just over it and it has happened to him as a child. Because in that day and time, if you were disabled, it's not like it is today where there's all kinds of accommodations and people would take care of you in modern medicine. A lot of times being disabled was a death sentence. You couldn't work. You depended on people like, you know, just being sympathetic to you and giving you food or, or, or change and stuff so you can, you can survive. And so for 38 years, this man had scraped and scrapped and survived for a long time, paralyzed, probably from the waist down. And so he literally, like most of the people like him, set up shot by the pool of Bethesda and he was praying one day that somebody would just be caught slipping, that people wouldn't be paying attention, that the guy with the stubbed toe or the guy with the broken finger or the guy with the head cold would not just be paying attention that day and he could be the first one to the water. And that his faith was in that, that if he could do that, then he would have a chance to be set free from this thing that he'd been dealing with for 38 years. That's almost four decades. That's when his hope was in. The next verse says this in, in verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him the question that we started with tonight. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now for a second, if you could imagine yourself as this man for four decades, you've been begging and scraping and, and trying to survive, trying to get by. And this man who you've never seen before, he's an out of towner. He's just here for the festival. He's just here for the celebration. He comes walking by the pool and he comes up to you and he looks down at you and he says, excuse me, sir, do you wanna get well? I don't know how you guys are. That would have offended me so greatly. Like you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus is Jesus in this moment, right? Like I would have been like, are you kidding me? Do I wanna get well? Do you know what my life is like, sir? I can't believe you would even ask such a stupid question. But Jesus being Jesus asked that question on purpose because just like you and I, if, if the man were to be honest, he probably didn't care anything about being well. He probably cared a lot about just being able to walk. He probably cared a lot about, I just wish I could stand up. I wish I could get a job. I wish that I could provide for myself. I wish this wasn't my life. Probably some of the same thoughts that you guys had when I asked you, hey, what's the one thing in your life that you think about every single day that you hope that nobody else knows about you? It's probably a very similar type thing. His was just a lot more public. It was like, hey, I don't really care if you take that away. I just want my life to be a little bit easier. I just want the pain to go away. I just want my circumstances to be fixed. And in fact, we see that to be true because the man doesn't answer Jesus's question. In fact, he just begins to label off all the excuses and all the reasons why he can't get into the water. Verse seven says this, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus asked him a very simple question, a yes or no question. Do you wanna get well? Yes or no? Those are the only two options. You can put something else onto it if you want to, but those are the only two answers to Jesus' question. And his answer is, I have no one to help me. You know, I, I, when the pool and the water is stirred, I, I can't get in. Somebody else beats me there. Like, I'm hopeless. Like, I'm at the end of my way. Honestly, the man was probably like, hey, are, are you volunteering to be my guy? Are you gonna hang here with me until the water starts to bubble and move? Like he was probably being like, 
are you, are you volunteering to help me? Because this is my biggest problem. My biggest problem is I can't get in the water. Jesus looks at him and sees what his honest and his real biggest problem is. He's like, sir, you're paralyzed. Do you want that to be fixed? And he's like, no, my problem is I need to get in the water. And you and I do this too all the time. We think about like all the things that, that the stress and the, and the worry and the fear that we carry. We're like, man, if I can just get through this semester. Man, if I can just get through this semester, everything's gonna be a lot better. It's like, do you know what happens in January? <laughs> we start this whole thing over again, right? Or maybe you're like, man, if I could just, if I could just meet Mr. Wright or Miss Wright, all my problems would go away. As someone who's married, no, they don't. You just inherit their problems as part of you. The two shall become one. You just doubled your problems. Like it, that does not gonna fix things, right? Or maybe you're like, oh man, if I could just get through school and get out on my own and get a good job. Biggie Smalls taught me mo' money, mo' problems. There's no guarantee that that's gonna fix anything. We always wanna treat the symptoms. We never wanna get at the heart of the matter. And this man does the same thing. He's like, nobody will help me. I can't get in the water. And the truth of the matter is, is the man's faith was in the wrong place, right? I mean, think about it this way. The man's faith was essentially in the prescription rather than the healer. He believed that if he could get in the water, he would be fixed. He, th he thought his faith was in the water. Now he believed that God was at work through the water, that he would send his angels and stir it up. I don't really know how it worked, but like, you know, he believed that the water, that's my ticket. That's my ticket. I gotta get to the water. Jesus says, do you wanna be well? And he touched on him how he can't get to the water. The water's the answer. And now, now if we could take ourselves out of that man's story for a second and put yourself in Jesus's mind. It's like, I would be like, dude, that's not the question I asked you. <laughs> you know, like, like Jesus wouldn't say that. The Heath would, I'd be like, Are you, that's, not, that's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you anything about the water. I don't, I don't care about the water. I'm not sure I totally believe the whole water thing right now, right? Like Jesus is like, that's, that's not what this is about. Let's talk about your legs, man. Like that's, that's your issue. And Jesus being who Jesus is, I would have been really quick to be like, dude, this is, this is coming out of, this is the very next chapter after what Chelsea just walked us through last week. If you were here last week, Jesus met a woman by the well and he has this interaction with her where he's like, you know, will you give me a sip of water? And she's like, wow, you didn't even bring anything to draw the water. Jesus, I'm the living water. Literally the next, the next chapter, this is the next chapter over. This guy's like, no, I'm, I just got to get to the water. And he, Jesus is like, man, I got a woman from Samaria that you really need to meet. You know, like I just had this interaction with like, it's not about the water. Jesus, like, Jesus probably was telling him like, dude, I'm, I'm the solution to your problems. I'm the living water. I'm the healer. I'm your savior, man. Like I'm here to rescue you, to help you, to heal you. And yet Jesus, not being me, handles it a little bit more delicately, a little bit better. And he notices that his, his faith was in the wrong place, right? His faith was in the prescription, not the healer. And yet Jesus, as only Jesus can do, handles the situation so delicately. He says this in verse eight. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick your mat up and walk. I love how direct and to the point Jesus is. You know, he's like, do you wanna be made well? The guy doesn't answer his question. And Jesus is like, all right, we're just gonna have to do this the quick way. You know, I'm, I'm losing him. And he's like, hey man, why don't you just go ahead and stand on up? And if he wasn't offended by the first question, you gotta think in this point in time that Jesus is like, do you wanna be well? And the guy's like, I, dude, I can't get well. I can't get to the water. Nobody will help me. Somebody always beats me too, but I can't get there. And then Jesus doesn't respond to that and just says, hey man, why don't you go ahead and stand on up for me? Why don't you just go ahead and get up? Hey, take that mat. Why don't you just head on out? You know, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> Thanks guy. You know, like this is a stranger to him. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know what he's capable of. And yet 
something incredible happens in verse nine. Verse nine tells us this. At once, the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. So Jesus gives him the instruction, get up and walk. And at once he begins to do that. And like I said, at first the guy had to probably be like, I haven't walked in 38 years. Four decades have been laying around, depending on somebody else to carry me somewhere. But think about how this had to have happened slowly, right? In the beginning, the man probably begins to feel this sensation of like tingling in his toes. And then all of a sudden he begins to have feeling where he's like, oh dude, I think he's serious. I think I could get up. And you can almost begin to see the light bulb going off in his head where he's like, I might be able to, to do this. And at some point in time, his faith shifts from I need to get into the water to I'm going with what this guy says. Because it says at once he got up and picked up his mat and walked. Something miraculous happened in him when he began to believe what Jesus said to him and he shifted where his faith was in, I need to get to the water to I'm gonna do whatever this guy says because he just changed the entire trajectory of my life. Now, why do I tell you that story? Why do I try to put you into that story? Why do I want you to feel that man's pain? Why do I want you to like experience the miraculous healing that this guy experiences? Because I believe that just like him, there's so many of us in this room that God is giving a very similar type invitation to. In fact, I feel like a lot of times in our lives, we are waiting for God to come to us. We're waiting on God to to come down and stir up the waters, right? We're waiting on God to come down. But instead the question really is, maybe God is right here all along. Maybe he's just waiting on you to get up. That for many of us, you know what the path of being well looks like, but you've gotten so comfortable in your weaknesses and your excuses have become so much part of your normal life that you want God to do something miraculous like he did for this guy. But God's like, hey man, I've laid out the plan. I'm waiting on you to take the next step. Most of the time when we feel ourselves being distant from God, God's not the one who moves. Most of the time it's us. And we're waiting on, I just want God to come down and meet me where I am. Most of the time God's saying, yo, I'm right here. Why don't you get on up and let's go? Most of the time God's waiting on us to stand up and walk instead of us waiting on him to come down and fix us, to heal us, to cure us and to make our lives a little bit better in the process. In fact, the, story, the, the takeaway that we have from this man's story is that his faith shifts from the water to Jesus. And just like that, so many of us in this room, our faith needs to shift because at first his faith begins to shift, but his problems didn't go away. And for a lot of us in this room, that's exactly what the path to healing, what the path to wholeness, what the path to wellness looks like as well. In fact, I believe this to be true is that faith has the ability to give us strength to move in the midst of our weaknesses. You see, our weaknesses are oftentimes the things that keep us down on the mat. They keep us down because we know we've fallen short before. We've known that we didn't hit the mark last time and we hate ourselves for it. Or we carry the shame and the regret for years later. Or we begin to worry and fear that the same bad thing that happened to us last time is gonna happen again. And for a lot of time, our weaknesses immobilize us. They keep us stuck in the same patterns. That's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to stay in the same place that you were in August. He wants you in the same place that you were last winter. He wants you in the same place that you were because if you're staying put, you're not making progress. 
But when we begin to shift our faith from, I just got to survive this semester, or I just need to get through to Christmas, or man, if I could just get to graduation, or man, if I could just meet the right person, or if I could just get into the right group of friends, or if I could find the right job. When we begin to shift our faith to these prescriptions rather than the healer, what we begin to see is that our life just stays the same. Our problems may transfer from one thing to the next, but they're not going anywhere. And the invitation that Jesus has for each and every one of us tonight is that we can begin to be set free from those things. That when he invites us to get up off the mat and walk, he's not asking us to go away from him. He's inviting us on a journey with him. You see, we started this semester with a series called This Is The Way, and it was all about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And I, I read this story and I'm like, I don't know what happened to this guy. We don't know his name. We don't know what happens to him. We don't know the end of his story. But I guarantee you, if he ever found himself anywhere in the vicinity of Jesus, that dude probably couldn't get Jesus out of his eyesight. Cause he's like, man, I, I don't know who this guy is or where he's from or what he's doing, but I just want to be close. And the invitation that you have tonight that each and every one of us have is that there are gonna be things in your life that hold you back. There are gonna be things in life that beat you down. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna fall short. You're gonna have weaknesses that are gonna tempt you to stay put where you are. But the invitation that Jesus has is that you can lay those down and you get to go on a journey with him. So tonight I'm gonna to end with three questions, I guess really four, uh, that, that I want you to begin to think about what your answer would be. Number one is this, what excuses are holding you back? What are the things that you've been dealing with for so long, you've been carrying so long? Excuses that you've been you know, telling yourself or telling those around you for so long that you've believed them and you've begun to think that that's the truth. What excuses are holding you back from living the life that God is inviting you to tonight? Number two is this, have you gotten comfortable in your weaknesses? For 38 years, that guy laid on that mat. Safe to say that he'd, you know, begin to get comfortable. That's what his life is. Man, if I can just get in the water, but I don't know if I ever will. Losing hope. The longer you stay put in your weaknesses, the more you begin to lose hope. Have you gotten comfortable in whatever weaknesses you're holding on to? And the third question is this, are you willing to trust Jesus and allow him to work in unexpected ways? The craziest thing of the story that we look at tonight to me is that the dude believed Jesus when Jesus said, get up and walk. I think I would have laughed at him. But that guy believed that, hey, this is unexpected, but I'm not gonna miss this opportunity. If he's for real, I'm not gonna not try. Tonight, I wanna give you guys the same opportunity and the same invitation. If you wanna get well, which is the question we started with tonight and the question that I'm gonna end with is, do you want to get well? Tonight is an opportunity to do that. Now, if you begin to take a step in what it looks like to follow Jesus, if you, wanna, if you wanna lay down some of the weaknesses that you feel like have been holding you back for so long, if you wanna let go of some of the excuses that have kept you from being the person that God is calling you and leading you to be, I'm not saying that tomorrow all of your problems go away, that your life gets easier and that everything goes, to, it's not like, this life isn't a Disney movie, okay? It's not all happily ever after when you find the solution. But I also believe that tonight God is presenting you with a very unique opportunity for you to drop some things that you've been carrying for far, far too long. And so tonight, this is what I wanna do. And we don't do this a lot, but I wanna give you an opportunity tonight. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to take a step towards Jesus. 
I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say, hey, maybe I've been learning about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I've been learning about what a reputation of a Christian should, should be and, and what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like. And in this series, I've been very much confronted with my life isn't where I want it to be. And if that's you in the room tonight, I wanna give you an opportunity to make a decision, to take a step towards God, to take a step with Jesus that could potentially change the trajectory of your entire life.